And so we've been working off of this principle as we've, as we've been looking at what it means to be blessed, right? This word uh, that, is, that is described as happy. We, we, we worked off this principle that said in an upside-down kingdom, right? When Jesus comes and he says, I'm bringing the kingdom, right? It's going to be upside-down from what we see in the world. And we've already started to see that, right? Culture says one thing, but Jesus says something else. So in an upside-down kingdom, we figure out that blessing, true blessing, comes from the inside out. And so for each one of these perspectives, they start on the inside. They start in our heart, and then they start to, to work their way out through the rest of our lives. And so today, as we move into this idea of blessed are the merciful, those that are merciful, we realize again that this starts on the inside, and it's going to work our way to the outside, right? We realize that this is a very upside-down understanding, even in our culture today. Right? So our culture today does not understand that. Our culture says that power will get you ahead. Our culture says do whatever you can do to be on top and to stay on top. Our culture says that it's all about you. Forget anybody else, what they do, unless they can somehow help you achieve your goal. Right? They can be a, a means to your end. Right? But do whatever it is for you. You're number one. Put yourself at the center. Right? And what Jesus is going to say is those that are truly blessed are those that have an upside-down understanding of this, that are counter-culture to this. And so I put a few phrases that we hear in our culture, uh, and I think that these relate a lot to other people. So, so one of those is the idea of survival of the fittest, right? And, and whether we hear that from an evolutionary point or whether we just hear that from a practical point in life of, you know what, the strong survive, those that work the hardest get ahead, um, even to a point of what we built our American dream on, if you work hard enough and do enough, you can achieve anything you want to, right? It all has this undertone that really it's the strong. It's those that are at the top, uh, according to this world. Those are the ones that truly, truly get ahead. And so if I have to hurt someone in the process, that's just nature, right? That's just part of the game. If, if I can hurt you and that helps me get ahead, if I can step on you on my way to achieving this goal then that's all right, because ultimately I'm at the center, right? And that's what our culture says. Our culture says things like, you do you, right? This idea that, you know what, whatever you do, as long as it's for your benefit, you do that, right? I don't take into any consideration somebody else, right? I don't take into any consideration, I start to view people as inconveniences, right? And so if you are somehow in my way of where I want to get to, then you're just kind of inconvenience, Right? Now, if you don't kind of bother me or, or kind of, you know, influence that or mess up my plan to get ahead, then that's cool, right? You do you, I'll do me, right? As, but as long as these two don't collide, right, that's where the problem is. That's what our culture has says. That's where the problem is, is when, when your, your plan in life and my plan in life, when they intersect, there's a problem, right? And ultimately, I have to do what's best for me. We also said, uh, and again, it's how this is taken, right? But, but we even have on our license plate sometimes this idea of don't tread on me. Now, now the original understanding behind that was, was one of protecting our country and freedom, and I, and I think that we stand behind that. But I've also seen where that idea gets taken to the point of, you know what, don't mess with me and what's mine, right? Because if you mess with me and what's mine, you're just going to be in my way, and that gives me a right to push you out of the way. And so all of these kind of cultural ideas point to this idea that, you know what, at the center, it's about me. And Jesus comes in and he says, you know what? That's not where true blessing is. True blessing happens for those that are merciful. And so we need to define that term, mercy. And so what I want us to do is we're going to take two minutes. And I want you guys just to, to, to turn around to a few people around you. And I want you guys to just discuss, when you hear that word mercy, what comes through your mind? How would you define that word mercy? Um, and so... I've been real fancy this week. we got a two-minute timer up here, so we can stay on point. Uh, Katrina probably loves that idea. Um, and so take two minutes, talk about this idea of mercy, and we'll come back together. All right, friends, uh, our timer is now got to zero, and so we're going to move on. I don't know why I put a timer up there. Everybody's still like, yeah. we got five more minutes. Give us some mercy. Give us some mercy. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's good. I love, yeah, I love that. All right, so 
What are some phrases that came out um, when we said when we said mercy? Thank you. Yes, have mercy on my spelling. Okay, what mercy? Don't anything that Ross says. Don't. Thank what? you in French. Oh, merci, <laughs> merci beaucoup. Very good. Uh, what else? Wow, that was a teacher joke. History teacher. You should stick with history. You should stick with history. Ross, you should stick with history after that joke. Um, Exercising what? meekness. What? What'd you say? Exercising meekness. Exercising meekness. Boom. All right. Look at you. Building. We were saying it almost feels like the opposite of justice. Like there's. Okay. So. So it's not justice. Let's Under, figure out the opposite. I don't know what the sign for opposite is. Undeserved. Empathy? Is that what you said? Undeserved. Something that's undeserved, not based on what they can give to you. Unfair. Unwet? Unfair. Unfair. Okay. Okay. What's that? Compassion. Compassion. All right. Those are some good phrases um, that we'll probably come back to throughout our time together today. Uh, I was talking I was talking in the back for a minute about mercy, and, and uh, somebody reminded me. Do you guys ever play that game when you were a kid? Uh, I don't know yes. if girls played it, but guys definitely. I remember <laughs> playing with my dad all the time. Mercy. You grab their hand and just try to twist it and contort it to the point that you're not breaking bones, right? But the, the other person would scream what? Mercy, right? And so in the game, the whole point of that was that mercy was for the what? For the weak. How many of you guys ever watched Karate Kid? You guys remember, right? Um, so you have you have Daniel's son, right, and Mr. Miyagi, and then you have the. Do you remember what the uh, the bad guys were called? The, the Cobra Cobra Kai, right? And their slogan was "Mercy is for the weak," right? Um, and in our culture, I think that sums up a lot of our culture is that we think that mercy is for the weak. However, as we talked about with this, the idea of meekness, that true strength comes in being able to show mercy to people, especially when they don't deserve it. And especially when uh, it may seem unfair. Right. And so we exercise mercy. So I think it's important as we look at this word mercy and this concept of mercy that we also understand some other related phrases um, that we find throughout the Bible um, that will kind of help us have a clear understanding of mercy. Okay, and so the first of those is grace. Grace. A lot of times these words kind of get intermingled and, and they have a little bit of difference in their meaning. And so grace is getting what you do not deserve, right? And so the grace. Grace is getting what you do not deserve. Um, it's getting something more than you deserve. It's something better. It's, it's that idea of getting what you do not deserve. Um, and then there's the, the, the idea of justice, right? And justice is getting what you do deserve, right? It's, it's, so if we see a court case and someone has, create, or has committed an awful crime and the judge rules that person guilty, we say, you know what, that person deserved that ruling, right? And so it's this idea of they got what they deserve, right? That's, that's true justice. And then finally, we have our, our phrase mercy. And mercy is the idea of not getting what we do deserve. And so in that same court case, if there's a guilty person, but yet the judge has mercy on them and gives them something less than what is sentenced for them, we would say that that is mercy. That judge is being merciful to that person. Um, and so hopefully that's a, help, a good helpful delineation between a few of those phrases. Grace being getting what we don't deserve, right? And so as we think about that in relation to our salvation, right? Grace is the fact that we get heaven, right? We don't deserve heaven. But because of grace, we, we get that. Justice would say that we deserve, what? Separation, hell, right? Away from God. Mercy says, though, that we don't get hell, right? And so grace actually goes a step above mercy and says, you know what? It's not just that you're not getting what you deserve, but you're getting something you don't even deserve at all, right? Which is what's so incredible about grace. But mercy, this idea of not getting what we deserve. This word mercy in, in the Greek, right? Um, in the Greek, 
um, this word here, uh, eliamon, which is which is in the Greek is is mercy. It refers to someone who is actively compassionate, right? Actively compassionate, one who is benevolent, benevolently merciful, involving thought and action. It reflects being concerned about people in their need. I feel like a good definition of mercy is compassion in action, right? Compassion is that emotional heart. When we see someone in need and our hearts are moved toward that person, that's compassion, right? We're called to be compassionate. Our Savior Jesus was compassionate. When he looked out and saw the way that the world was going, he had compassion for the world. It's the reason that he healed the sick and cared for the lame, right? He had compassion. But mercy now is action. I'm going to take action with that compassion. It's going to drive me to the point of doing something about it. And I think throughout the whole of Scripture, there may be no better place to get a picture of this compassion, to get this picture of this mercy, this compassion and action, mercy, than we hear in the story, that, the parable that Jesus gives of the Good Samaritan. Right? And it's probably one of those stories that we're all probably familiar with one, one way or another. But I want us to look at that this morning as our inside-out story. I want us to look at, at this, um, this um, inward compassion that the, the Samaritan has um, on this, this person in need. And so we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25. Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25. I have starting in verse 30 up here, but let me just kind of set the let me set the, the scenario for you, right? So Jesus is, is, you know, at this point in his public ministry, and a lawyer comes and starts questioning Jesus, right, about all these laws, and he's asking these, these questions, and he says, you know, one of the questions he says is, what should I do to inherit eternal life, right? What do I need to do, right? I, I'm, a, I'm a significant person. What do I do to inherit eternal eternal life. And Jesus says what was written in the law. How do you read it? He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And, the, and then the lawyer asked Jesus, he said, he said, but who is my neighbor? Right? Who is my neighbor? And starting in verse 30, which is where we're going to pick up today, Jesus replies to his question of who is his neighbor? And Jesus replies with a story. And so starting in verse 30, it says this. And Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he had come to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, right, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And this is what the lawyer says. He says, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. You see, this, this lawyer had a question, right, for Jesus. He, he was asking Jesus, what, who is truly a neighbor? Who is the person that we should truly, as, as Jesus had commanded, as commanded in the law, who is the one that we should love like ourselves? And the story is what Jesus gives him as defining who our neighbors are, right? I think it's interesting as we, as we read through this story that this idea of showing mercy is what Jesus defines as acting like a true neighbor, as a brother, the one that we should, should care for. We should, we should be showing mercy to those people. So we get in the story, we get these two religious leaders, right? And we'll talk about them a little bit more here in a few minutes. But there's a priest and a Levi, right? And as, and as Jesus told this story, the crowd would just naturally assume that these were going to be the good guys, right? These were going to be the heroes of the story. And so it was scandalous, probably, 
the direction that Jesus took this story and turned, right? Because the religious leaders were not the heroes. They were not the example in this story. Yet it was the Samaritan. And so I imagine that as, as Jesus was telling the story, when he said the word Samaritan, people in their minds were already like, there's the bad guy, right? There's the bad guy. Why? Because remember, the Jews hated the Samaritans, right? To, to a Jew, the Samaritan was considered one of the lowest of the low, a half-breed, someone who is not uh, one of God's chosen people. And so they hated them. And so it was absolutely scandalous that Jesus would make the enemy of the Jews out to be the hero of the story, the one that he says, you need to act and love in the way that this man did. And so he says, he says that the Samaritan, right? And what is it that the Samaritan did? Well, there's our word there. He said that he had compassion. He had compassion on the man that was beat up. And I think it's interesting that as this lawyer had, had listened to Jesus' story, in verse 37, when Jesus says, which one of these was, was more of a neighbor, he says, the one who showed what? Mercy. He's defining mercy by compassion, right? Now, if the Good Samaritan had just been like the religious leaders, and when he saw the man being, you know, that had been beat up or whatever, and he looked at him and he said, you know what? I have compassion for him. My heart hurts for him but he continued to walk, would that have been showing mercy? Not at all, right? It was the action to that compassion. It was the action of actually taking that compassion that was in his heart and doing something with it. And so as we then look at our lives and we say, how do I create mercy? How do I become a merciful person? I think there are probably three observations or three steps maybe that we can take to becoming merciful. And I want us to walk through each one of these. Number one is that when I that I need to see a need. There needs to be a recognition of a need, right? And and so just like the good Samaritan here, when he passed by, he saw that this man was in need. Right? There was there was he was he was laying half dead, the Bible says. Um, and so so as he walked by, he realized that this there was a need that this man could not carry on his own that he could not help himself in this moment, right? He recognized the need. And honestly, I think for us a lot of times, this is, might be the hardest step for us in showing mercy. When we, when we understand and identify that somebody has a need in their life, a lot of times we can be moved by that compassion to do something for that person. But I think one of the hardest steps of mercy for us a lot of times is being aware enough of the world around us and the people around us to see the needs in people's lives, right? Now, for the Samaritan here, it was pretty obvious. This man was completely without help. Uh, this man was completely without hope. He was laying half dead on the road. And so it was very obvious for the Samaritan of the need. But I think in our culture today, in our world today, it's a little bit harder for us to recognize needs and people who need to have mercy, Right? What makes it hard? Well, let's just be honest, right? In our lives, when we're going through a hard time, what do we do? Do we tell people about it? Do we want to bring people in and let them know about all the messed up things and, and things that aren't right in our life? Or do we put a smile on and we just say, you know what? Everything's all right. It's good. I'm all right. It's, it's not been a bad week. How you been? Good? Busy? You know, all of these phrases we like to use, Right? And so I say that it's hard to recognize the needs a lot of times is because people aren't going to just be out front with that, right? And what I've seen in my life, and I think probably what you would say in your life, is the times that we truly understand people's needs is when we actually have relationship and we're willing to get down in the mess of people's lives. We're actually willing to get past the surface, hey, how are you today, into the real parts of their life, Right? Because when, when, when we really get involved in people's lives, and when we really have eyes to see the need, we start to notice things, right? We start to notice things. I, I love what, what, one of the, uh, what one of the commentators I was reading this week, he said that the, the word in the Hebrew for, for merciful, right, is the word hesed. And it, it means this, it's this idea that it's the ability to get right inside the other person's skin until we can see through their eyes and that we can think the things that are going through their mind and we can feel the things that they're feeling. 
right? It's, it's this idea that I can be so connected and so relationally connected with someone that I feel what they feel and understand what they understand, right? And I think that may be the hardest part because we put up a lot of walls and a lot of barriers, right? Okay, yeah, I'm willing to be friends with this person when it's convenient for me. I'm willing when it works on my time schedule and my time frame to do this. But if they call me in the middle of the night or they have things that are just going to really kind of wreck my life, I'm not quite sure I'm so willing to move into that point. And so I think one of the hardest steps is to recognize the need. But yet we can't stop there by just recognizing the need. You know, just like with the Good Samaritan, he did more than that, right? And so as he recognized this need, then it started to move in him. He was moved by the need. And that became his motivation, right? And this is where it says that he had compassion for the man. His heart started to care about that person's needs. And that's another important step in us becoming more merciful, right? Because on the same, on the same understanding of that, I'm sure we've all had situations where we've seen somebody in need, but yet we just decided, you know what, I'm, I'm, I just don't feel like I should help that person. Or maybe I'm just not as moved to help that person. Right, And so if we recognize the need, but we're not moved by that need, if we don't have that compassion in our hearts, we never do anything. right? And so when you see somebody in need, are you moved? Have we put up so many walls in our hearts and in our lives that we're not even moved when we see people in need anymore? Right? I mean, I'll be honest. Right? You go to Rona, and you drive by, and, and, and there are probably five to ten traffic lights that you stop by on a given day and you're going to see people out sitting out by those traffic lights asking for something and it's really easy for me when I see that a lot and hear stories of of situations for me not to be moved anymore by that to not be moved and, and, and kind of just put all people in a category because one or two people may have taken advantage of someone for me to be hard about that in my heart in my life right are we still moved when we see people's needs that's the next step in this. But then the final step, right? This is this is this is where the rubber meets the road is that am I am I going to move to meet that need, right? And that's the action part of this. When I see a need, right? When I when I start to feel compassion about it, am I going to actually do something about it? Right? Cuz I would say that this was probably the the one of the main differences between the religious leaders and the Samaritan here is that he actually did something, right? And the reason I think that we don't do something a lot of times is because when you do something, it's going to cost you something, right? I want you guys to write this down if you're taking notes. Mercy always costs something. It always costs something. It costs the good Samaritan something, right? Think about, think about this from his vantage point, right? The Samaritans were hated by the Jews. Hated by the Jews. And so for him to go and to extend mercy to this Jewish man, who if he was well, probably would hate him in return, right? It had to cost him something. It was going to take forgiveness for this man to, do, to, to, to show compassion, to show mercy on him. It would cost him his convenience, Right? The Good Samaritan was probably going somewhere in that moment, right? He wasn't just passing through looking for people who were going to be, you know, half dead on the side of the road. He was going somewhere. Mercy sometimes costs us. It's inconvenient to our schedules and to our plans, right? What's our heartbeat when, when somebody calls and there's a need, right? And that's going to be inconvenient to our lives and our plans, Right? I can tell you where I stand in my life, that's probably the hardest part for me to get over is the inconvenience part, right? Man, yes, I would love to help this person, but that's really not going to work for me today. Could you, just, could you just hold that need out for another couple of days? Could you just wait? Because it's really not going to work according to my schedule. Mercy is going to cost something. It's an action. It's going to cost something. And it was going to cost the Samaritan a lot to be able to forgive that. I got a um, little short video I want us to watch uh, as a little testimony um, of what it means to extend <clears throat> grace, to extend mercy to someone um, when, when that person doesn't necessarily deserve it and it costs us something. This is the story. You guys might be familiar with Corey Tim Moon. 
and and she was uh, she was a prisoner in the concentration camps. Um, and she was released, and so this interview, they asked her about a time that she was sharing her story at a church, and one of the guards who was there, one of the guards that was, uh, you know, treating her so poorly uh, and so cruel, um, when he came up to her, and she had to extend forgiveness. And so, um, watch this little short video. It was some time ago that I was in Berlin. And there came a man to me and said, Ah, Mr. Bohm, I am glad to see you. Don't you know me? And suddenly I saw that man that was one of the most cruel aufseers, guards, in the concentration, in concentration camp. And that man said, I have, I'm now a Christian. I have found the Lord Jesus. I read my Bible and I know that there is forgiveness for all the sins of the whole world, also for my sins. I have forgiveness for the cruelties I have done. But then I have asked God grace for an opportunity that I could ask one of my very victims forgiveness. And Fräulein Tambom, once in here forgiven, will you forgive me? And I could not. I remembered the suffering of my dying sister through him. But when I saw, when I experienced that I could not forgive, suddenly I knew I myself have no forgiveness. Do you know that Jesus has said that? When you do not forgive those who have sinned against you, my heavenly Father will not forgive you your sins. And I, I knew, oh, I'm not ready for Jesus' coming because I have no forgiveness for my sins. But I was not able, I could not, I could only hate him. And then I took one of these beautiful texts one of these boundless resources, Romans 5.5, the love of God is shed abroad into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. And I said, thank you, Jesus, that you have brought into my heart God's love through the Holy Spirit who is given to me. And thank you, Father, that your love is stronger than my hatred and unforgiveness. That same moment, I was free. And I could say, brother, give me your hand, and I shook hands with him. And it was as if I felt God's love stream through my arms. You never touch so the ocean of God's love as that you forgive your enemies. Can you forgive? No. I can't either, but he can. I mean, imagine the cost, right, to forgive someone who was responsible for killing your sister, your brother, right, inflicting all this pain. So mercy cost something, right? Cost Jesus something, right? To show mercy to us. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse twenty-one says, "For our sake, he was made; he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God." Right? Imagine God's perfect, holy Son having to come down and walk in this life and take on sin. Right? To carry the weight of that. Imagine the, the cost and the weight for Jesus to come and to wrap himself in flesh and experience the things that we experience. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17 says that, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Jesus had to come in order for him to be our salvation, in order for him to be our way back to God. He had to come and to experience humanity, right? That was a big cost for him, right? Living in perfection with his heavenly father who he had existed and been in perfection with and in unity with for us ever since, ever since 
forever, right? He had to take on humanity and become separated from his father in that moment. Imagine what it cost him in that moment. So mercy always cost us something, right? So we say, well, how do you be merciful, right? Well, you realize that there's a need, that you're moved by that need, and then, then you move to action. But yet, I think there's two barriers that, that most of us have when it comes to mercy. One of those is that it's, there's a cost. And for us, the cost is too much, right? As I look at what it would take for me to be merciful to somebody else, the cost is just too much. I see the need, but yet I don't have the time or the money or the ability, right? Those are the, those are the excuses that we throw out. But yet we know in Scripture it tells us that that is what we should be doing. Galatians chapter 2, verse 6 says this. Paul's writing and he says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Tim Keller said it this way. He said, We can't bear someone else's burdens without us carrying some of the weight ourselves. Right? In order for me to bear your burden as your brother in Christ, I have to take on some of the cost of that burden that you're carrying. I have to come along. So it's, it's literally the idea of someone straining under a weight they can't carry and a brother or sister coming alongside and carrying that weight with them. There, there was a moment yesterday uh, as, we were, as we were loading up to get ready to leave and uh, me and my nephew Junior, we were carrying out some of these, these big OSB boards. And, and, it, and in my mind, you know, if we carried two of them, we would be done twice as fast. Um, but as most of you guys know, when you carry two, that's twice as much weight. And so we were carrying it, and we get to a point, right? And, and we're carrying it, and, and I trip and I fall, and I slip um, in, the, in the road there. And, and Junior's kind of holding up the weight. And I think about that in that moment, right? Of, you know, there's going to be moments in our life when our brothers and sisters are going to fall. They're going to slip in life, and they're going to go through something. And sometimes we might have to shoulder the majority of the weight of that burden for those people. And it's going to cost us something to do that. But yet, are we too busy or too distracted or have these other things that we're not going to be able to do that? Can you share that, that one thought we got at that meeting about the difference between burdens and loads as far as, you remember that? Uh, I remember him talking about it. Okay, I'm sorry. And uh, I don't remember the okay. distinction. Okay. That would have been really good, though, if I would have okay. thought ahead about that. Yeah. And so, and so there's this, there's this cost, right? And so mercy is going to cost us something. And it's never going to be easy. So what do I do in that moment, right? What do I do when I, when I realize that I need to be merciful, it's going to cost me something, right? And I think as long as we focus on what it's going to cost me, we're never going to be merciful, right? In those moments, we have to always look and think about and ask the question, what did mercy cost God? Because when I think about it from the perspective of what is this going to cost me to be merciful to somebody, as long as that's my focus, I'm never going to come up with enough good reasons in and of themselves to be merciful. But yet when I think about what it costs God to be merciful to me, that moves my heart with compassion. That moves me to the place of being merciful. I think a lot of times we think that it was easy for God to be merciful, right? We think, man, he's God. Like, it was easy for him to be merciful to us. But I would submit to you that being merciful was the only hard thing that he had to do, right? I mean, think about in the beginning there was nothing in God. The Bible says that God spoke it into existence, right? With a word he said, let there be light, and it was light. And he created all that was around, right? And all that he wanted to do, all he had to do was speak a word. But yet, when it comes to mercy, it cost him greatly. It cost him his son. I would say that mercy and, and, and being able to make a bridge for us to get back to him was the most costly thing that, that God has ever done. It cost him something. And it's going to cost us something if we're truly merciful. And so that's what I would like us to do is I want us to take about five minutes and I want us to talk about that for, for a few minutes. What are some of the costs of showing mercy in our lives? 
when we open our lives up, when we get into a position ourselves into a place that we are going to start showing mercy to people, we need to be wise to understand it's going to cost us something. And so what are some of those costs? So let's take a few minutes and discuss that. We're going we're gonna to bring it back together. Um, and, and so hopefully in your, in your time together, um, it became apparent that, that mercy is going to cost us something, right? There's going to be a cost, convenience, money, time, uh, other things that we value. It's going to cost something. And that's our first barrier to showing mercy. But I think a second one, which is, uh, which is probably maybe just as big in our lives, is the barrier of, the, of distraction, right? I think a lot of times we're not merciful because we're distracted by other things. We're distracted by other things in our life, and we don't even see the need. We don't even see the need in people's lives. And so now these minor things, as we're going to talk about, will become a distraction. And I was listening to a sermon this week about uh, mercy, which is where I got a lot. Preacher tells you that he ever come up with his, whole, his own sermon by himself. You don't believe what he has to say, right? There's, there's some great wisdom out there. And, and, and the, the guy that was preaching this message uh, went to Matthew chapter 23, a passage that I've read over several times but never really understood it in this way and and when I saw it I was like man how did I miss this this whole time right but in Matthew 23 Jesus is talking he's going through a list of things problems and issues that he has with the Pharisees and the way that they love people and the way well really the way they love themselves and the way that that they live And in the middle of that passage in verse 23 he says this he says woe to you scribes and Pharisees hypocrites for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. Stop right there for a second. He's saying, you know what? You guys are so detailed on the law and how well you're following it. You're even tithing down to the point of tithing your mint and your deal and your cumin. Right? Now, I'm all for tithing and giving to the church. Right? That's, I think the Bible commands us to give to the church and be generous. But I've never looked in our spice cabinet and said, babe... Let's pull out 10%. Jesus wants his mint and his deal, right? But, I mean, these guys were strict by the rules. They were following every little minutia of detail, right? And so they were taking their time, and they were taking their mint, and they were cutting out a tenth of it, right? So they could tithe and give that. But what's Jesus' problem with that? He said, that's all fine and well. You do that, but yet you neglect the weightier matters of the law. You miss the big things. The important things. And how does Jesus define those weightier matters? What does he say? He says, justice and mercy and faithfulness. I think that a lot of times in our lives, we can get distracted by the minutia of being a Christian and forget about these big weightier things that we should be doing. We get so caught up in our own little small worlds and details of things that we're focusing on that we miss the big picture of what it should look like to follow the law, to follow Christ, to have justice, to have mercy, to have faithfulness. And then, and, and then if that wasn't enough, he goes another step further. I love, I love how Jesus does this. And he says, these you ought to have done, these, these weightier things, without neglecting the others, right? He's saying that don't, don't forget about those other things like tithing and, and caring, you know, caring about studying the Bible. He's like, those aren't bad things, but yet you're distracted from the major important things. And then this is what he says about them, verse 24. He says, you blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. He's given the picture that, you know what, they're so detailed that they don't want to swallow something that would make them unclean, that they strain out their juice. But yet in the process of doing that, they're swallowing a camel, right? It's this indictment on them that, you know what, you were so focused on these small, the smallest little things that you miss, this giant thing that you, that you should be doing. And I think for a lot of us, our biggest, uh, our biggest barrier to showing mercy is just that we get distracted by these small things, right? And, and for those of us that, that are in the church and that are followers of Jesus, I think the reason, the way this happens is that we, we get distracted sometimes by church things, by Christian things, by these good things that I think we should be doing, but yet we miss opportunities to show love and justice and mercy to people who are in need, the weightier things that we've been called to do. 
You see, in our story of the Good Samaritan, the priest and the Levite are perfect examples of this. I'm not convinced that they passed by because they didn't have any compassion or they didn't care for this man. I'm not convinced even that they passed by because they were like, you know what, this guy doesn't deserve our, our help or anything like that. I think it had a lot more to do with the fact that they knew if they went by and this guy happened to be dead, that would then make them unclean, religiously unfit. And they were more carried about their religious obligations than they were about showing mercy to this man in need. And I think that that can be true for all of us. We can get so focused on these minutia things. It's important for us to study our Bible. It's important for us to pray. It's important for us to have Christian fellowship. But yet, I know in my life even, I can use those as, ex as excuses not to get into the messiness of people's lives. But yet, mercy, mercy cares about the weightier things. Charles Spurgeon, a great pastor, once asked a few questions that I think are very important for us to ask today. He says, how many will put work, even religious work and busyness before helping others? How many put their church and its ceremony and ritual before the needs of the desperate men? How much less would we be invested in buildings and facilities if men were seen as half-dead travelers who needed our compassion and help? Right? How much even in our church, right? And we don't even have to worry about a fancy building because let's be honest, we're not in a fancy building, right? <laughs> But how much do I get focused on my little things that I have? And, and some of those are good things, but how, how focused do we get on that, right? Like what would happen if somebody showed up to our door this morning with a need? Would we, would we stop what we're doing, our ceremony, our, our religious getting into the word together? And I would submit these are good things, but would we stop that to meet that need, right? And I feel like a lot of times God puts those people in our lives, but we're so distracted that we miss them. The greatest opposition to, to mercy are these insignificant things, right? The greatest opposition to the significant are these small, less important things. And they're not all bad things. In fact, it could be possible, but that our greatest barrier to mercy this morning could be Netflix. It could be scrolling on our phones. It could be our religious activities. It could be these things that in and of themselves are not bad, but they're a distraction for us to see people who are truly in need, right? It's really easy for me to put on Netflix and sit down and kind of drown out the worries of the world, right? It's easy for me just to, 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 to pop on, you know, Netflix and, and sit down and not even think about my neighbors, not to even think about people that don't have a place to go and to be comfortable in this moment. It's really easy for me to get on my phone and just scroll through and be distracted from people and conversations. And so what are those minor things in our lives that distract us, right, from the weightier things of life? And so just like we've been talking about, the perspective is that those that are merciful, those that show mercy, those are the ones that are truly blessed, right? And the promise is, then the upside down promise is that those are the ones that will also receive mercy, right? Those that, that graciously and gladly extend mercy are also going to be the ones that will receive mercy. And so one of the questions that comes to mind is, so are we talking about earning our mercy? Is Jesus saying that if, if, if this is some sort of formula or quotient, that if we're merciful, then in the end we're going to somehow earn our mercy from God? Is that what he's talking about? Absolutely not, right? We know that. It's not about earning our mercy. It's not about doing enough or being enough, right? But I think mercy is one of those things that mercy doesn't save us. But if we have been saved by the mercy of God, that should so push us to being merciful to those around us. Right? When I understand and when I see what God has done for me, right? When I can look at the mercy of God in my life, and what he's done for me, that should push me and motivate me to be merciful to other people around me. I think that's what Jesus is talking about here. Those that have received this mercy from God should also be the same people that are giving out the mercy to other people. Because of the mercy that God showed us on the cross with Christ paying for our sins should make us merciful, merciful people. And Jesus even kind of gives a litmus test 
about what it means to be truly to be his. In Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 31, Jesus tells about what's going to happen on that day, on the judgment day. What is it going to look like, right? And in this passage, Jesus says that he's going to separate people into two groups. There's going to be a group of sheep and there's going to be a group of goats, right? One on his right and one on his left. And so both of these groups, and I think we have the passage up here. So I'm just going to read this. And listen to what Jesus says about mercy and those that... What is the litmus test to see if your heart is truly belongs to Jesus? Verse 33 says, And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed. There's our word again. By your father. Inherit the kingdom. These are the ones that are going to be going into inheriting the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Now here's the litmus test in verse 35. He said, For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when do we see you a stranger and welcome you in or naked and clothe you? And when do we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say, as you did to the least of these my brothers, you did to me. Verse, four, uh, verse 41 says, Then he will look to those on his left, right, the goats. He says, Depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for you, for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will answer, Lord, saying, Lord, when, when were we hungry and thirsty, or strangers, or naked, or in prison, and we did not minister to you? Then he will answer to them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do, it to the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Here in this, uh, in, the, in this passage, Jesus is saying that the litmus test, right? Our litmus test of whether or not we're his is whether or not we show mercy to those that are in need. Those that are hurting in the world. Mercy doesn't make you saved, but it sure does show that you are saved. Right? Right? Mercy is not the foundation. I love, I love how Martin Luther said it. He says, you are saved by faith alone, but saving faith is never alone. And I love that quote, right? I love that idea. It goes back to the story of the Good Samaritan. If you guys remember at the end of the story when, when, when the lawyer said it was, it was him that was merciful, that showed mercy, that was the one that was truly the neighbor. Jesus' Jesus's response to him was, go and do likewise. Right? In so doing, we need to go and to be merciful, to be people who have compassionate hearts and actions and care for those. Because it's in that moment that we're going to receive mercy. That we're, it's going to be our mark, our litmus test of being followers of Jesus. You know, as we, as we look at, at the cross, right? Just a simple picture of the cross. But as we look at the cross, I can think no better picture of mercy than when I look at the cross. And I think for, for each one of us today, when we see the cross, we should be reminded of the mercy that Christ extended to us. And that should then push us to showing mercy to those in the world around us. It's really easy for us to get distracted. It's really easy for us to think about, you know, what it's going to cost me. But when I look at the cross and I think about what Jesus did, it's really easy to get my perspective in the, in the right place, right? It's really easy for me to get my, my mind back on being merciful when I compare it to what Christ did for me and for you. So as we kind of wrap up our time together today and as we, as we kind of come to the end of, of our, our, this passage on, on mercy and what does it mean to be merciful, um, well, it's just to think about, like, where in our lives, what are those avenues, what are those streets, what are those places in our lives that we can be extending mercy, right? Where are those places that we haven't been willing to walk, maybe because we knew that it was going to cost us something, right? 
Or maybe for us, it's, it's, it's what are those distractions in our lives? What are those things that we know that, you know what, I can't even hear of the needs of the world around me because I'm so distracted by all these other little minor unimportant things, right? And so we're going to sing, Oh, Come to the Altar. Um, and as we sing that song and we listen to those words that just talk about coming to the altar and laying it down, I would just encourage you this morning, if, 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 if there's somewhere that you haven't been willing to go with mercy, or maybe there's something that's been distracting you from mercy, that you would take time this morning to, to work that out in your heart, to work that out between you and the Lord, right? <coughs> Either saying, Lord, I'm willing to go wherever you call me to go. Wherever mercy would take me, I'm willing to go down that road. Or to say, you know what, Lord, I know that it's going to cost me something, and I'm willing to give up these minor things, right, for the weightier things that you've called me to do, to show justice and mercy and to love, right? And so I'm going to close this out in prayer, and then Ross and Holly are going to come up, and they're going to lead us in this last song together. And so, Father, as, as we come to this moment of response from what we've heard from your word and in our discussion together on mercy and the cost of mercy and what mercy means. God, may we be found to be the sheep on your right that are merciful. God, may the world around us see us as merciful people. May we not pass over opportunities to be mercy just because, just because it's inconvenient or just because we're distracted. Father, may, may our lives look more and more like Jesus. And as we look at the life of Jesus and we see what it cost him, as we see what it looked like for him to be merciful to us, God, may we in turn become image bearers of him in that way. God, as we travel this world as, as strangers, as sojourners, God, realizing that this is not our home, God, may we always be reminded that we have a, a mission and a purpose while we're here. And one of those is to be merciful and to extend mercy to those around us. And so as we come to this time, Lord, God, I just pray for open hearts, receptive hearts, that we would be willing, God, if there are things in our life that need to change, places we need to go or things that we need to push out of the way so that we can do what you've called us to do, God, I pray that we would be bold in that, that we would take this opportunity to do that, that we would make that commitment today to being merciful people, God. Because we desperately need and want your mercy, Father. And so, God, as recipients of that mercy, help us to be merciful to those around us, God. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.